Welcome, my friend, to Bridge the Gap. This is the, the show that we put together here. A little bit, let me explain the title to you. So, Bridging the Gap of Knowledge. The idea is you have a lot of knowledge and a lot of insight into a lot of things that guys like me, you know, who came into like the hip hop culture late in life and are kind of going back and hitting up the Googles and are trying to understand, it was not there. You can't find a lot of this information. So, we are trying to bridge the gap of knowledge out there so we can pick your brain and learn a whole lot of stuff about a whole lot of different things, but also bridge. It's because I'm from Montreal, y'all from New York, and you know what's cool about bridges? It's very significant to both of our cities, so it's like a common ground between us off the jump as we bridge a little gap over here. So, yo, being the second guest oh. that we have on this series is amazing, Mr. Iron Solomon. You are, like, very, very interesting guy to look into. I'm not even going to lie. I've uh, I've watched some of your interviews. I'm going to confess this off the jump. I'm not... I'm not really a battle rap guy, so I just got introduced to a lot of battle rap stuff looking into you a little bit. I got to see a whole nope. culture I'm not necessarily exposed to, so just so you know that coming into it. This guy is a fucking legend in that regard. His stuff is so entertaining to watch, okay? But not only is it Thanks. that, the man has music. Now, I, don't, I, I know there's a reputation, and I saw the disses and shit, but I'm, I'm listening to your music earlier today. And I'm like, yo, why did I know about this when I'm 21? This is everything 21-year-old <laughs> me wants out of fucking music. We was just bumping it on a stream. Dog, it's so fire. Your bars are so good. It's like, it's so, it's so good to me. Like, I'm just saying the fact that, and it's even more than that, right? Because the man is the full package kind of artist. There is a consistency between the way he presents himself in the battle rap scene there's a consistency to the way that gets carried over to his lyricism inside of the music you can see it inside of his interviews and when you find out some of the crazy shit i found out he's up to today it's just fucking nuts yo iron solomon's a fucking legend and everybody needs to know that that's my introduction appreciate you man so i'm Thank glad you. to have you here sir um let's get into the first question and this is a little bit of my stock question and for you i, I know in advance it's a very special question so the question kind of goes, it's a bit of a story. It's, uh, it's how it is, tangents, it's okay, all that good stuff. So I'm, uh, I'm sitting there, my girlfriend's washing some dishes. And she's playing that Black Eyed Peas shit. The, I got a feeling. That shit there, right? So that shit was a club hit, right? At one point, we was all up there getting drunk, dancing and that, etc. But now it's, it's chores music for her. And it got me thinking a lot about musical journeys, okay? Because that means that like when we was kids and my mom was bumping her discos and my dad was bumping his zeppelins that was their chores music because that was their turn up music once upon a time so that got me going yo the musical journey really starts there when the parents are telling us what we're listening to before we discover mm. our own musical identity now i know that this is a special question in your regard i know it is but why don't you tell us a little bit about the music that surrounded you growing up from your mom's side from your dad's side because your mom's side too i know your dad's a special case but like the vibes, like when there was chores, when it was the car. I want to know a little bit more about the different landscapes more than just the specifics, if, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, first of all, thank you for having me. And I, I appreciate the um, super thoughtful intro, too. And, that you know, it makes my data hear hear that type of feedback. And um, I also just respect as a journalist the like deep dive and, um, you know, really doing the background. So I, I appreciate you for having me and, and um, shout to my man Dutch. You know, we, we, we repping Liddy Bros today all day. Yeah. Um, so appreciate appreciate you for um, facilitating this. That's my, that's my brother in so many different ways. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, my, my, both my pops and my mom are both um, musicians and, um, you know, my mom is a singer, um, jazz singer, um, classical singer, and also um, played the flute. 
and my pops is like super multi-instrumentalist um you know piano keys is his main thing but also you know guitar bass and um you know an arranger is his like calling so um we always had a piano in the house depending on what my dad's employment was if he was working full-time um he might have his a, a studio outside of the house but then when he was freelancing we would have he would bring his equipment home and we would have like you know um studio level stuff in in the crib um and he and and he they both but my dad in particular i think were were always interested in whatever the new like cutting edge like they they he always wanted to explore new things so like i remember he had this dresser drawer that was like as tall as me when i was a kid that was just full of cassette tapes and it was like every genre you know what i mean and i i would just go in there and dig and um you know it would be reggae and classic rock and um, blues and jazz and soul music. And then, you know, like <clears throat> my real like deep introduction, first introduction to hip hop in like a, like really listening and listening was um, when Straight Outta Compton came out. He actually bought Straight Outta Compton on tape and played it like in the family car on like a road trip, um, which seemed, which sounds crazy do, now. Do you remember how old like, you were? Um, I mean, let's uh, let's look up what year that that was. I mean, it's it's pretty young. Straight um, out of Compton as an album is '87, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, like five five years old. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm '82, so that so yeah. Um, and uh, and then I remember, you know, kind of taking it for granted, and then getting a little bit older and having friends who were older talking about stuff, and me being like, oh yeah, I re you know, oh yeah, the tape cover with the guys with the gun like aiming down and. They'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, yo, let's go to the dresser. Like my pops got that tape, you know what I mean? So um, it was really everything. And he he was, he's the type of musician where if there was a song that I liked, um, cause I, I played guitar too. I studied guitar as a kid. And so if there was a song that I liked, I could go to him and, and press play and he could play it on the piano, like first first listen, you know what I mean? So um, so yeah, music, music was always a thing in my house. I was always, with my pops at the recording studio when he was working on stuff do you mind um, if i just he, ask a little extra question i forgot to bring up sure. like we just pretending yeah, yeah. right now that you haven't done all these interviews and stuff a little bit i'm not gonna ask boring questions but just for the sake of some facts for the people who don't know you sure where are you from i know where you're um, from, i'm right? from yeah, yeah i'm from new york i'm from manhattan um upper west side um my pops is from queens rockaway and uh my mom is from connecticut okay um, but yeah new york uh, born and raised um so I, I just say that because when he says go to the studio we're not talking about like go to the studio up in some bootleg place not we're talking about new york fucking city people okay i just want you to understand the actual magical significance of what the fuck that actually means okay anyway please go on sir no for sure yeah and actually um my my dad like had his big break through in his career when I was like a baby was um, Little Shop of Horrors. So he mm. arranged the music for Little Shop of Horrors when it was like super off Broadway, no, you know, just a little tiny production. And then he stayed, he was with the production when it became a Broadway show. And then when they filmed, turned it into a, a, a motion picture, um, it was all in, in England because in London they had the biggest like indoor sound stage 
and all of those scenes like on the streets and everything is actually indoors in a, in a studio a sound stage um, a huge sound stage that's like you know multiple blocks um and so when i was like three and a half to four and a half we lived in london and i was around you know uh like the the dude from the four tops um who passed rest in peace um levi Stubbs, i believe is his name was the voice of the plant you know what i mean and um Tashina Arnold and, uh, you know, Pam and Gina, like, were the backup singers on um, on Little Shop of Horrors, you know, from Martin. And so, like, I was a little ba- little kid around them while they were, you know, filming the movie. And, and the stories I hear is that I, I was very vocal at four years old, like, nah, sing it like this, sing it like that. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I was... I was just around music all of the time. And then my mom, at the same time, my pops was making his like creative come up. My mom um, was in the music industry and she went from being like a secretary at RCA to eventually being um, like a VP of of business affairs at um, BMG and dealing with Sony and Def Jam and negotiating, you know, contracts. So I would go from the studio with my dad to the you know the label office with my mom's and go to the closet with all the cds and just be able to pull whatever cds you know when people were doing a like a penny for eight cds type shit like i would just go to my mom's office and go to the closet and just get the joints with the hole screwed in it you know the promotional joints with the little you you know dutch knows what i'm talking about like so yeah so you got um, that you got the music before it was released like you were able to hear all the cuts before they came out or were you getting it like after or, it came out? Or it out? would be like, like they used to, they used to have promotional joints that would be like, they would just, they would either print on it like for promotional use, not for resale, okay, or they okay. would like drill a hole in it. So you, 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 would, you would get right, a CD right. that was the real thing when it came out, but it would be like for DJs or whatever. And so she would have a whole closet, you know, there was just like a closet on the floor, a room basically where you could go in and be like, just take whatever was there for promotional That's use. Amazing. And so yeah, as long as it was on her label when, when stuff was coming out and I would have friends that would be like, yo, I was, you know, I was the the link to give, I was giving people CDs and all that stuff. So for me, um, just music was always, always a big part of my life. You know what I mean? Are you okay with answering a question straight I, from the comments? Because we got a question got from so. Crack Le- Crap Lips up in Montreal, CL. He's okay. fucking great. He wants to know, where did your parents meet? My parents met um, at a party. My my mom was actually married one time before my before my dad, <clears throat> and um, they met at a party. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, like it, what I think it was just like a house party type thing. You know right. what I mean? And um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. I wish I had a better story than that. But, yeah. Nah, but the <laughs> fact is, CL wanted to know. We answered him. Yeah. That's what I love about right. the magic of the Twitch is that we can have that interactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's it's a uh, okay. Anyway, it's Revere actually. I thought it was somebody else. It's a uh, Revere from Montreal. My bad. I they have a very similar Twitch generic name. I apologize. Now I feel like a silly host. Let's go back to your story though, because yo, that is an insane musical upbringing. And the thing about your catalog that really caught my ears as I was listening to your musical versatility on your album, 
and I believe you made all the beats and stuff. If I heard that in another interview, I could be wrong. But if that's the yep. case, I can hear the musicality and I can hear the fact that you're pulling from like a gajillion inspirations and sources across these different songs that are just like completely out there. But like when you then listen to the what you had going on inside of your life, um, going on as a kid, it's like you had no choice. You were like in YouTube before YouTube. If you think about your world, you right, had like right. a, because yo, when I talk to the young ones about their life growing up, they're like YouTube this, YouTube that, YouTube this, like yo, since I'm young, I listen to everything. But you literally have that in an era where nobody else did. That's fucking right. crazy. Let's move on to the next question. Yeah, that's, Ill, that's an ill way to think about it. I never thought about it like that, but it's true. And then, you know, the backdrop being New York City, it's like, it, it's so accessible. It's like, I got you know, my older cousin was a guitar player and he had a Les Paul guitar. So I was like, yo, and Slash had a Les Paul guitar. And like, I wanted to be, you know, before I wanted to be Jay-Z, I wanted to be Slash, you know what I mean? And uh, so I had a Les Paul guitar and then it's like, oh, you know, Les Paul plays um, every Tuesday night at Fat Tuesdays. Like, and my, and my parents were just like, you know, I couldn't like go sleep at the homies crib on Tuesday night and like go party. But they were like, we'll take you to the jazz club and you could go see Les Paul. You know what I mean? So, you know, have, you know, and then it's like, when you get into hip hop, it's like, Oh, like that's what all this paint on this train means. Like, so it's, so really it's the combination of the household and the support that my parents had for like culture. They were like, if, if there's anything cultural that, that we wanted to get involved in, me and my brother, it was like, they were gonna facilitate that. And then having, you know, New York as the backyard and especially like in the eighties and nineties, you know, it was such a patchwork of, of cultures. And it's not like today where you'll have like miles and miles of like safe, clean neighborhoods. It's like, you know, where I, where I lived around, I lived around a corner, um, you know, when I was a little kid and then, and, and it, it was all halfway houses. And so it's, it's prostitutes and, and dope dealers in the street. And then we moved around a corner and it's a doorman building. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, walk from West end to Broadway and there's, you know, this the crackhead prostitutes giving a hand job to this dude. And then you get to Broadway and it is Broadway. Like, like, like you know actually doing so, that. Like you got it. Okay. Yeah. I, I might, yeah, yeah. Like, I might like stop you like that. Cause it seems like a silly sure. thing to, to question, but just to justify sure. it, New York is like this mythical place to me. And I noticed while talking to guys like Flacco Bayo, it's that there's a lot of stuff to you. That is just your, your life. That to me is this magical place called New York that like I know about in like an ethereal mystical through hip hop kind of way. So you hear stuff like that, like you hear that, but you don't like, you know, it's like you grow up in, in a place like Montreal and it's relatively safe. Okay. Like it's not like, I'm not saying it's the best place in the world, but it's not that at all. Um, at least not anywhere I live. I mean, there might be places, but so like when you sure. hear you say it quite literally, that's, that's part of your growing up experience and shit. That's actually like, I think more people like, you know, benefit from hearing that that's a real thing that people witnessed. Because I don't know yeah. that everyone understands that some of this music that gets put out, especially golden era hip hop, isn't being hyperbolic. It's reporting on actual circumstances. Like when you go, I mean, I don't know how, we don't have to go down that path per se, but when you look at the history of New York City's political situations, like it, it kind of is cool to give, that you give testament to a lot of the weight that a lot of people are saying by, you know, giving us this part of your story. So thank you for that. Yeah, for sure. And, and just with the whole like bridging the gap theme, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I'm super fortunate to have that upbringing because, you know, I, I went to private school when I was younger and then I also went to public school. And then, you know, in New York, it's like, you have, you have friends that you're like, Oh yeah, I know him from high school, but you didn't go to high school together. It's just that like, you, you know, 
you're already applying to schools or choosing different schools to go to in junior high. Whereas somewhere else you might be like, nah, this is the local junior high. And then we all go to the same high school in New York. You bounce around so much. So it's like your man from junior high goes to this high school and then he clicks up with these people. And that that's, that's your people's too. And so like, I have like, you know, I had friends that, I know like from high school that I didn't actually go to high school with that went to, you know, Fieldston or these private schools where it's like, I would go to house parties where they live on a, in the penthouse on the Upper East Side and their balcony goes around the whole crib and you could fit a hundred people on the balcony and nobody's in the crib. But then I had friends who's, you know, raised by their grandmother and their, their mom was, was on drugs and their pops wasn't really in the picture. And um, so I think that having that experience and seeing all those different walks of life, it was, was a really important part of, of, of my upbringing and something that I, I always want to communicate and, and, and bridge the gap, you know, and be able to be a voice um, for all sides of that equation so that people can kind of understand each other more, you know what I mean? Because um, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot more humanity that binds us than there are, um, differences that divide us, you know what I mean? So that, that's why the, you know, bridge the gap theme is is super appealing to me because I feel like that's, you know, a big, big part of, of my upbringing, you know what I mean? I could definitely relate to that. Um, I mean, I went to a high school that was multicultural. Like, that was like its big claim to fame. There was like 280 people from like fucking uh, 40 different uh, countries represented in that little place. So I can kind of relate a little bit to the sentiment that you're going from. And there was a lot of socioeconomic mixes in that place. And it kind of created this strange little uh, place that, I mean, uh, that it just kind of lets me relate a little bit to that experience that you had. But um, let's move on a bit to the next part of your story, because I know there's going to be a lot of questions about parts of your career. But I think it's actually really important to walk through your story so that we can properly answer those questions related to the more, you know, hyped up parts of that. Because, yo, I want to know a little bit about the start of your musical identity. That would be the next part of your musical journey uh, in my the way I'm mapping things out. So basically, my question is more around puberty is what we've mapped it, that era of life. People go from, yo, this is what my parents have. This is what's whatever to I like this. This is what I want. And I know you touched on Slash and wanting to be a rock star a bit. Um, So when did that moment happen for you? How old were you? And do you remember exactly what that moment was like and kind of bring us into a little bit of that part of your life? Yeah, I mean, so I went to private school like through sixth grade. So that's like up to age 12. And in private school, it was like, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers were 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 super big. Um, we listened to, but also like, you know, Nice and Smooth and um, Eric B and Rakim, and then like I said, um, N.W.A. and um, you know, Stone Temple Pilots, and then you know, Bob Marley and uh, you know, all, all the kind of like old um, like '60s and '70s stuff was really popular, like in the in the back then it was like almost like a revive a revival you know what i mean um and then i went to i, I went to public school actually i went to public school starting in sixth grade so i was 11 okay. and 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 that era is when like <laughs> wu-tang and biggie and um the fujis you know what i'm saying and uh beastie boys and like for me the the i think really like the fujis and wu-tang the sound like I was always into like weird shit. Like I, I like, I like the music that sounds 
I like pop music in terms of like Nirvana is is poppy, like it's catchy and it's, it's song <clears throat> super repetitive you know, song too. structures. Right, right. But it's mad weird and edgy. And so I was mm-hmm. always into the weird, like edgy shit. And like Wu Tang was so dark, and mm. it, it it was this world that they were that they were painting. But then they were pulling in from you know this patchwork of influences and for me like you said like because i grew up in in a youtube like environment um it all felt like it it came together and and it's it's like hip-hop is collage art you know what i mean that's Ooh. like the um <clears throat> pardon me i'm gonna have to ask for you to elaborate on what you mean yeah so like <clears throat> that's that's really the essence of hit of hip-hop culture is is collage art and you know me later in life studying um, you know, studying African religion and studying um, the history of hip hop and the African diaspora and the black experience in America. Like I understand now that um, collage art is, is a pretty distinctly like African aesthetic. Um, you know, when you think about the European, like classical music style, that's like a wall of sound where you hear the strings and the horns, but it's blended together in a way that's, um, you know, it, it's, it's all complimentary. And there's a there, there's a more of a room, more of a space in African culture for dissonance, for pleasing dissonance, where you have um, things that clash. And even even in the modern era, it's like, you'll see pictures of people that may have like, these fibers that they're pulling from nature and weaving into their hair, but then there might be like a Coke bottle or like a bullet and it's this use of these different materials that seem like they're coming from different places and they, they clash, but they clash successfully. You know what I mean? And so I think, you know, I, I personally believe that like, um, you know, hu- humanity comes from Africa. And so there's something inside of us that there's like these ancient, like just in our DNA, the feeling of, that aesthetic and the feeling of this there's this tradition called the ring shout where you have um you know a community of people like whether it's playing percussion or singing and dancing and then there's one person who's like in the circle testifying on top of that um i feel like the reason hip-hop resonates in such a global way and um, black music in general resonates in such a global way is because this is like our ancestral you know, humanity's ancestral rhythms and ancestral um, forms of, of communication and expression. And then on top of it, the fact that like, you know, I can, oh, I can, I can, you know, I can take something from Slash and I can mix it with the James Brown that I like. And then I can wrap words on top of that. And then I can use, use this little Bob Marley vocal snippet and like every, everything that I think is the dopest shit from all of the different realms of life that I'm influenced by, like has a place in hip hop, you know, it's the ultimate um, postmodern like collage art form. That's just, it's literally referencing everything that came before it. Whereas if, if you're going to do country music, you know, you may just have a certain type of instrumentation that's specific to that genre. Um, and not saying that there isn't room for outside influences, but hip hop deliberately references like everything in culture, you know, whether it's cartoons or um, Kung Fu flicks or rock and roll, soul music, like there, there's literally a place for all of culture inside of hip hop. And I think for my, you know, YouTube type upbringing, it just felt like the pinnacle of, you know, I get to, 
I always would like one or two songs on an album where I was like, these are the best songs. I don't even want to listen to the other songs. And so for me, hip hop was like a greatest hits of culture where it's like whatever. Oh, that's your favorite part of the song. Those drums just play that part over and over again. You know what I mean? Like that's what I was doing for myself anyway. Hold so on. it just kind of like all came together for me. You know what I mean? Dude. That, okay. Like I, I have this thing when people drop knowledge nuggets, that's what I caught them. That's like <laughs> words of big time wisdom. I don't think I've ever heard anybody use such an use such a level of intellectualism to like break down and justify sampling at an ethical level to being like a great. <laughs> that's what that's what you just did though. He broke down and ethically justified sampling as the biggest compliment possible because it opens up hip hop to the world and not just sampling but the idea of paying homage and respect to what came before you. And uh, I love I love everything you just said, dude. That was like. That was that was a lot to take in, so I'm properly not giving you the just dues. But that was that was amazing. I'm, I, we got comments in the, the, on the Twitch going, "Yo, that was fucking fire too." It's just such a unique and in, maybe not unique, but it's such an enlightening way to look at hip hop culture that personally I've never heard before. But you fucking just right. opened my eyes in a, in a different way of, of thinking about all of it. And so I want to thank you for that. And I think everybody sure, watching, man. when we cut this into a little YouTube clip after, they're all going to appreciate it there too. Um, but yo, that's oh, amazing, yeah. dude. I love your brain. I love the way you think about shit. It's just so fucking cool. So feel free to at any time do whatever tangents you want. That's totally cool because all of this is gold to me. Um, Hell yeah. But uh, so basically, when did you start to get into the slash and get into your own kind of thing? Because this was a great tangent, but I think we got to go back to your story a little bit. When did that start for you, if you remember? Yeah, I started taking guitar lessons at, at like nine years old. Um, <clears throat> and like, you know, I was just kind of like a I was an insecure kid, but like it came off as prob as like cocky sometimes because like I think I, I was starved for attention. You know what I mean? And so I would want to you know, I didn't necessarily feel comfortable like going up to a girl and just having a conversation, but I would be like, you know, let me play, let me play guitar in front of everybody. And then maybe they'll come to me and have a conversation. You know what I mean? So for me, it was always like, you know, I just wanted, I just was like, yeah, I think I just wanted attention. You know what I mean? And like wanted to be like the coolest. And so, um, like Slash was just the coolest thing in the world. And, and then I had an older cousin, like I said, who played guitar that I looked up to. Um, and that was like, you know, like I, I remember like finding a used condom in his room and being like, I, yo, I need to play guitar, son. Like <laughs> this, I need my room to look like this. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it was just like, it, it was about that love, loving music and feeling like that was my path to be, you know, I wasn't going to be the star quarterback, but I could be like the guitar player. You know what mm. I mean? Um, <clears throat> yeah. And I, I really was writing rhymes at the same time, like nine, 10 years old. Um, but I don't think I really, I don't know that I like, I, like after a little while, I wasn't sure that I saw, like I understood how I fit in as a white dude right? Um, into that. You know what I mean? I didn't know exactly how to make sense of that. And I think that when I went to public school and, um, was a little more like, um, you know, around a, a broader diversity of people and included more in not just seeing the final product of the culture, you know what I mean? Not just buying an album or whatever it is, but like actually being in math class and, and we're, you know, being on a table and freestyling and like um, really being a part of that 11, you know, 12, 13, like, 
I think that really kind of opened my eyes to it. And then by the time I got to high school, I, I just, all right. you Before, know, you're still figuring out. So we're going to, we're going to get to high school. Because we're not even yeah. done with this question. You said I get okay. a little ahead. But before we do, my mom's is on the stream. So shout out, mommy. Oh, it's amazing to have yeah. you here watching one of the coolest moments of my life right now. That's fucking dope. <laughs> so you always want your mom at the show when something cool is happening. So that's like fucking yeah. cool. Anyhow, um, I want to know about which hip hop brought you into it. You may have said it before, but just to yeah. kind of like bring it in, what kind of was this hip hop that you were encountering at this time? What were some of these early influences into it that inspired some of these first raps and things like that? And any yeah. chance, do you remember like a 12 year old Iron Solomon little rhyme you could spit? Um, I had, there's a nine year old one that was like, I had these two friends whose names were Ben and they were like, you know, they were mad cool and popular and shit. And like, I remember being like, yo, we gotta have a rap group. And this is like private school. And it was like uh, me, Ben and Ben, each sitting in a chair with our pad and our pencil and our slick back hair. That's all I remember. But I had the whole, I had, I had like a whole joint written out. And like, I was the one who was like, I think they were popular enough that they were like, they didn't have the motivation, but I was like, nah, we gotta make this happen, B. You know what I mean? So like, I had the vision and was like, you know, I'm not gonna be the third wheel. Like we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make this pop. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah i think and and it for me it really was like fuji's the score right right um wu-tang uh biggie you know it it was just those soundscapes um even just like going i went to school on like 70th street and there used to be a tower records um on 72nd and we were allowed to leave school for lunch and so we would like take the train to the arcade or we would go to tower records and we used to go in there and switch the um, price tags like you go to the sale bin and take a price tag off the sale bin joint and like put it on a regular joint so whatever like i couldn't get from my mom's that wasn't like on the labels that she was a part of we would go in there and like either steal them or switch the labels and shit like that and i just remember going into the hip-hop section and seeing like the poster of method man with the stocking cap over his face with the hole cut in his eye and the gold teeth and just being like yo like this is like scary. Like this is the illest, like weirdest, like edgiest shit like that. Like this is bugged out and, and wanting to just like be a part of that. You know what I mean? And, and um, I also had a friend at the time, uh, Miles, who was really into um, really into political and, and like social justice stuff. So um, we I actually started this thing. Hold called on. Can Back I just can Rick. I just stop? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we can just it. put it on wax. Social justice wasn't invented this decade. It's been around for a minute. Right. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah. yeah, totally. Nah, like I, I definitely like, you know, for me, I was always into just like right right and wrong was like a big thing for me. Like what's what's fair? Like I was always into fairness. You know, like mm. kids are like, that's not fair. And I was definitely one of those kids that was like needed things to be fair. Um, and I always just felt like I saw, <clears throat> you know, and my, my parents are like, obviously they were pretty progressive and, my pops was like a really ex like extreme hippie when he like during a um, hippie era, he, he really just like abandoned society. And um, so I always was was raised with these kind of principles and um, always wanted to fight for the little person, you know, what I'm saying fight for the person who is <clears throat> disenfranchised. And so there was this we started this organization called Act Your Rage and it was like act your age, but also like act, you know, and how old are you when you're doing this? probably like 14 Holy yeah like shit. like 14 15 yeah yeah this um, is interesting and, cool shit dude yeah and i used to, we used to go to like all of the um 
you know, all of the like rallies and, um, you know, all of the free Mumia was like a big movement at that time. And I, you know, I was around like Ramona Africa and um, the move, you know, out, out of Philly, like um, just was kind of always like in that headspace. And then would you know, had, had an older homie who was really like um, focused on that and kind of brought me into the fold with all of that. You know what I mean? So I was definitely into like Rage Against the Machine, um, you know, any anything that kind of like spoke about um, those issues started to really appeal to me, you know, um, and yeah, just the just just that vibe and that, and and the ability to write what you feel because you know rock and roll and these other genres are more like a movie a lot of the times where it's not necessarily like you know um, you're not necessarily you know like you think about Pearl Jam, um, Jeremy, you know they're they're singing a song about somebody that's it's not their life it's about somebody else or you know, I think the first person perspective of hip hop um, with the kind of collage background for me is what really like made me be like, yeah, this is this is it. You know, like I can mix everything and I can say I can say a lot of things. here. You know what I mean, I definitely relate to that. I mean, for myself, just because I feel like you're giving me a lot. It's fair to give you a little bit back. Um, I'm 12 when new metal pops. So like, mm-hmm. I guess when my Linkin Park is like my first favorite band. So in a lot of ways, I empathize heavy with how you see music at this age because it really does reflect what I grew up with. Maybe I don't have the YouTube life, but like I'm like the one age generation that's going to go new metals to shit and is grateful it's coming back in full force today because I told y'all that shit was dope. Anyhow, um, but like, uh, (laughs) so it's really cool to hear you say this because like just as a fan of music, even to this day, I'm not like, I mean, I love hip hop. Hip hop is like my number one love. But maybe in, when it comes to music, I'm a bit polyamorous, right? That's how I'm going to put it. Yeah. I'm all over you. I'm a bit of a slut. I'm going to be real with you. Word. <laughs> and so the way I'm hearing you, I feel like we have a kinship there where you're also kind of like that. And not everybody can relate to that. Some people's hardcore to their fucking genre, and that's their whole identity. So I like the fact that your identity is versatility. And that's something that I relate with heavy. So thank you again for sharing that with us. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, I guess, uh, what point then, cause the next question kind of is tied into all it is. So you're being exposed to a bunch of shit. So somewhere along this way, you must be like, yo, I'm gonna take this serious. This is it for me. When am I, when is the moment where you're like, I'm gonna be a rapper. Also feel free to shout out what high school you went to just for the hell of it. Cause I don't see it. On I, I went Wiki. to, I went to Stuyvesant. Yeah. I went, well, I went to the junior high school I went to was called a uh, center school. It was like a magnet school and, uh, <clears throat> a bunch of people like, um, Claire Danes went there she was like a like a year or two older than us um but i used to I, you know i knew her kind of because i always had older i always had like older homies that um would kind of take me around and shit like that and uh also my man den 10 um who was like one of the original dot mob members who uh um dutch i don't know if you've seen the um mook and lux on drink champs but they told a story about den 10 like battling dmx yeah so den 10 was like my man in junior high school which is like mad weird it's like such a small world yeah um he was the one who i used to like freestyle and rap with in class um so yeah i went to the center school and then and then for high school i went to stuyvesant which is like a a geek you know like a math and science high school um yo that's interesting yeah diverse but um but pretty limited you know what i mean like i I definitely didn't didn't, i I didn't like it there really you know what i mean i like my peoples that i have from there but like i don't i don't really like the administration or what the school was about um but it's like it's a public school but you got to like test 
you got to test your way in. And I was always good at, um, you know, standardized tests. And so my parents were kind of like, yo, you know, they, they see it differently. Like they don't remember this, but I remember them being like, yo, if you get into Stuyvesant, which is supposed to be like the number one high school, like, um, you kind of got to go. So like, I, I, I was supposed to try out for LaGuardia, which is like, you know, the movie fame is like based on that. It's like, a, like performing arts and music and visual arts. And I, I, I had auditions set up for music and I had an audition set up for visual arts and I had a portfolio of like drawings and stuff that I was doing. But, um, I, I don't think I even showed up to the, to the auditions because I had gotten into Stuyvesant and my parents were kind of like, yo, you know, like <laughs> that one, that, that on your resume is going to be ill. So, um, yo, I'm going to jump in here real quick. Yeah. That is huge, bro. Like those two names of for high schools, like here in New York city, Holden, that's like, the top of the cream of the crop, you know? Yeah, like I have mentioned in the comments that I didn't get into art and design. Like I had mm. I had applied and I had tested and everything I didn't get in, you know what I mean? And that's like a, that was like a, a hurtful, like it hurt yeah. my heart, you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. what? Yo, I couldn't make it in? Like hell yeah. those two like... schools are even higher than art and design. And art and design is, if if for, for us outer borough kids, Manhattan, is the goal for a high school mm. and those schools are all like the cream of the crop it's crazy but yeah, yeah and, and i, and I, I would still on. kick it at at laguardia like i said it's like you know people oh i know him from high school it's like you know i mean you dutch knows brady like my boy brady who i went to junior high school with went to laguardia with um Nicki minaj you know what i'm saying like they were in class together you yeah, know that's crazy. and so yeah so like i would still you know, it's like you, oh, I'm gonna leave a little early and I'm gonna cut school and go be outside of LaGuardia when they get out and then we're all kick it there. Or like, I'm gonna yeah, up. I'll take a train to, the, you know, take the train to the weed spot and, and, and then go up to old state to the private school and go meet up with the kids up there. And like, so, you know, you, you in the city, it's like, you just kind of go travel everywhere. It's an adventure. You know what I mean? So, yo, before we go on, though, I just want to, like, tie that back into your music. Because, yo, math, science, logic, that's the first thing I think. Music's <laughs> a language, right? right? So music's a very yep. language. And when we think about your battle raps and their significance, one of the things that's super well, – the thing that caught out to me a lot is your gin battle. When he decided mm -hmm. to, like, freestyle completely and you came in with this structure and compositional element where it seemed like within your head you were timing shit, math cadence ready to fucking go. And I saw that. And so the fact that you were able – like, you can see it early on then if you trace your story that you had – that level of thinking that would allow you to bring that level of shit to the table. So I'm grateful you shared that because it actually just ties directly into your fucking story and your musical career and explains so much about how you approach your rhymes to me. So I appreciate you sharing that because it, you know, it avoided sure. me having to ask that boring ass question that you probably get a million times. <laughs> so, um, anyhow, um, so you were basically in this place where you're exposed to a bunch of shit. Um, I guess, when do you start doing it for real reels? When does it become like a thing you do? I mean, you know, my my pops, I think, like maybe lost his job or decided to go back to being freelance or something when I was in high school. And so he brought all of his equipment home from, from where he was at. Um, and so all of a sudden, like, you know, we're freestyling and beatboxing and like, you know, Rozelle is like one of my idols at the time. And I'm like writing graffiti and, you know, trying to break dance and like just engage in everything. And then all of a sudden, 
now there's like a home studio in the crib. You know what I mean? So that that's when I was like, had my pops show me how to use like, at the time it was performer. I think it was even before digital performer. And, um, you know, so I was like sequencing with MIDI on the um, computer and a keyboard and have the dial up patches on the rack units and then um, recording vocals to like an ADAT, you know what I mean? So that's, that's probably like 16, maybe 17, maybe a little younger um, that I started like making beats, you know what I mean? And, and trying to, um, and actually trying to put songs together. All right, um, we so pause. yeah, like throughout high school. We got to talk about that. Talk about the technology. Talk about the literal components of how a young you started making beats. Because, yo, we were learning about dubbing on the last one where, like, the guy would take the tape. And so for me, that was novel information. Pretend I don't know this stuff inherently like a lot of y'all cats do. Right. I explain it to me and all the other ignorant folk out there what you actually <laughs> did. Yeah. So so digital perf or performer, I think. I don't even know if it's digital performer was the name yet. But basically, that's like a the way I was using it was as a sequencer. So what a sequencer is, which is um, it uses MIDI, which stands with M-I-D-I, which stands for uh, Musical Instrument Digital Interface. And if you think about um, like you ever see like a piano roll where you like wind it up and it's got the little bumps oh, on okay. it and yeah, it's, yeah. it spins and like triggers the notes. MIDI is basically like a digital version of that where what you're, you're not recording audio sounds you're recording information about it's like digital information of like, I pressed the C note at this time, this hard, and I held it for this long. And then I let it go at this time. And so once you have the, the kind of like digital information in there, then that is being sent through a MIDI cable to like at that time um, to a rack unit, which is like, you see the racks of the saw of the, you know, equipment with the blinking lights. It's like, you would have a rack unit that might have just bass sounds because you know at that time the 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 memory storage is not like it is today where you where you can have your cell phone could have all the production equipment you need you have to have like a bass sound rack so now i can like let the bass line play um with the piano roll basically and then i can cycle through the different bass sounds and like pick out the right bass sound um but then if you if you shut that down and want to bring it back up another day you have to now like write down which which patch which bass sound you used and all this stuff because what you have in the computer is just that piano roll information and it doesn't you don't have the actual sounds you have to actually go back to the rack unit and pick out the snare again and pick out the kick so just to like you can't just turn your equipment back on and be like let me go back to that beat i was working on you got to take like a half hour to dial it all back up to get to where when you stopped the last time um you were at you know what i mean so so yeah that's the kind of but even then that was like super blessing that to have access to that shit because you know i i'm a kid and i and i have this like it was still state-of-the-art like cutting edge um, technology, you know what I mean? So that, that was the foundation for kind of my understanding of the studio or my comfort with engaging in um, like digital production, you know what I mean? Yo, again, I want to thank you for sharing that because in my opinion, um, that was helpful to even explain some stuff the other guy was talking about. Like sometimes it's hard to even visualize it. So the more times we can all learn it, we can appreciate it when the OGs are like, y'all don't understand how spoiled you are with your technology <laughs> and your pro tools because right. I right. didn't actually really understand how spoiled I am. I don't understand. I get mad when it takes a minute 
to load some shit, right. dude. I'm spoiled. No, as me shit. too now. Yeah, no, me too now, man. It's like, with you know, it's like uh, you know, it'll fill the container that it's in. The more, the more, um, the more that you have, the more that you want, you know. Mm. But yo, that's really cool. So at what point then? I guess you have access to all this stuff, and I'm gonna keep saying at what point because I'm just kind of high at this moment. But uh, <laughs> what what like point do you really start like moving towards? I don't know. Is the music songwriting appealing first? At what point is like battle rap become a thing? You're a young guy at this point. You finish high school at some point. You have access to gear. I don't know if there's anything I'm missing in that era that you want to touch on before moving over there. But yeah, that's up to you. What you want to share still? Yeah, from that I mean, era. you know. Yeah, like the end toward the end of the '90s. Like I'm, I was in high school from like '96 to 2000. So, um, you know, we're we're battling like outside of school on the street, like going to going to house parties and like trying to find whoever rhymes and just fuck them up. And <clears throat> then going to like Wetlands was this like legendary um, venue in New York that's that's not around anymore. Wetlands, Tramps. Um, knitting factory new eurekan like these were the places that would have open mics or have battles and i, I was just like you know back then it's like the internet isn't how how you know it's just kind of emerging and it wasn't really how it is now you'd have to go get the village voice which was like a free paper um and go to the back of the village voice and it would be like you know who's performing at sobs who's performing at wetlands like and you know is there oh what what night is the, is a battle going on or an open mic and just like trying to figure that out and then you know convince the the homies to roll and um yeah just going to going to those events going to fat beats being outside of fat beats in the stairwell you know seeing seeing who's there and um fat beats was is was a, a legendary record store now i think it's like still a, a label and a distri distribution but they used to have a physical location um downtown um by uh um in a village and like it was just a hub it was a hub of culture a hub of like underground music you know we were all staying up late um to listen to stretch and bobito and recording the shows and um you know just trying to trying to find like it was like a like a a, a chase you know like like again it's like i think there's a lot of value that the internet has brought but in that time the way that the culture was was like if you wanted some sneakers that nobody had, you had to make moves. You had to go around a city and find a little store in a neighborhood that people didn't really go to and see what kind of back stock they had of some colorway that wasn't released. And then um, if you wanted to find, you know, if you wanted to hear a song, you had to stay up late and listen to the radio because you'd have to have a DJ play it on, you know, a vinyl and then you would tape it off the show or there wasn't really a way to be exposed to new music. And I think there was something dope about the hunt, um, the hunt for like exclusivity. And then also um, style was a little more localized where like you could be in your little corner of the city, like cooking up a way to wear your pants or a way to wear your hat or you know, thinking of a different brand that nobody wears or a different way of, of rhyming or, or of break dancing or how to freak your, your letters if you write in graffiti and then kind of debut it to the world. And even though we're all in New York, like when you go to the, sh to the show at SOBs or you go to the battle at Wetlands, it still was like a melting pot of different styles because there is no internet where as soon as you wear your hat a certain way, 
it's all over the world and the kids in Japan are wearing it that way the next morning. You know what I mean? It was more like you had months and years to kind of develop your style before you would debut it. And then everybody is, is debuting their own unique style at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm. Yo, I'm glad you shared that too, man. This is that context that explains so much. Like when you go back to like a Wu-Tang, right? So I bought the, the Wu-Tang manual. And uh, what right. I thought was super interesting is how Riz it takes some time at the very, very beginning of the book to describe the uniform, right? Like mm. it's like specific to them. So I'm guessing, I mean, I'm going to just guess it. It's the Staten Island way. And that's going to be different right. than where you're at on your side of it. Yo, Flacco was showing me like maps the other day and circling stuff around and explaining like all these things being just different <laughs> areas and how like yeah. much changes. And because, yo, I got a little bit confused. I'm not going to lie. I was watching one of your battles and it was like Harlem, New York and then New York, New York. And I'm like, yo, why, why did it say New York? What the fuck does that even mean? I thought that's all New right. York. So he explained it to me and that. that it's where you're from, the the east side. That's how y'all y'all do it. But it was just west, like west, yeah, yeah. Or sorry, you know, I don't even, dude. I'm I'm trying, man. I'm trying to keep up with nah, my New York good. geography. <laughs> it was never my strongest suit. Okay, I'm good with math <laughs> and numbers. You give me geography, and I get a little bit confused. Um, and it is what it is. One day I'm gonna come down to New York and I'll map it out. But yo, yeah, that, we'll take it, it was cool. It was cool just to like you know learn about all of this stuff. And I realized that too. A lot of people that aren't from New York, these stories, this kind of context, like look, it's really useful stuff. Like it helps yeah. us translate, like almost like in a sense, a Rosetta Stone way of like understanding hip hop culture at its roots. Because at the end of the day, New York City is mecca, and everything else is an extension from that. That's just the facts of the history, right? Um, yep. So you're basically battling because it's part of the culture. It's basically around you. But when does it like? When does it become like a thing? Because I don't. I don't really know how it starts for you. I mean, I saw stories, but I was more interested in like your your other views than say the battle rap history stuff. I was still learning about it. Sure. I watched like I've watched a couple. Like I watched that shirt in Taiwan. So I, yep. when I, wa I I did watch the Mook one. Uh, so when he brought up the shirt and tie and shirtless guy, I'd actually seen both of those. I saw someone with jeans. I saw uh, uh, one with disaster. So like I seen that, um, yep. but I know that spanned the whole bunch. I listened to your music a bunch. So I don't really know at all the, unfortunately your Wikipedia page, it seems like somebody was doing some dirtiness on there. So I'm hoping that people can use this right, interview yeah. <laughs> after to go update that cite this as a source and correct that shit. That's what we're doing right, right here. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. um, yeah, I'm, I'm not good at like, uh, I'm not always good with the self-promotion or the like, so I, I've never had like a hand in my own Wikipedia page. And so whatever it is, that is, is what it is. But yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> I, I went to college, um, I went to college in Ohio, a school called Oberlin. That's like a real, like progressive liberal arts, like, you know, music and art college. Um, I actually went for one semester and was just like, it's a tiny school in the middle of nowhere in Ohio and, and going from like living in New York to that was just tough for me. Like, you know, walk like, w you know, where I lived, it's like, as soon as you get away from my building, like there's millions of people around you, but nobody knows who you are um, to going to being on a college campus where like the second you step out of your door, like everyone knows who you are. And it's like, it was just a little weird for me. So I took, I took off second semester and I had, a, I was taking music classes at Manus, which is like a music college in New York. And then I was um, interning at a studio called Planet Sound where like the Beat Nuts recorded and, um, half a mill was recording it, it it had kind of fallen off as a studio um but uh but i was like interning there and like selling weed 
um, and just making music, you know what I mean? And uh, I ended up going back to Oberlin. And when I was there, you know, it's, it's, it's like a famous music school too. So like linking up with like ill jazz musicians and um, just other, other kids from like all over the country that, that um, had their different perspectives on music and, and hip hop. And um, eventually I got involved I have a friend of mine um, named Godwin who was involved, like he was more focused on like being an entrepreneur. You know, I, I was always like a hustler. Like I, I used to throw parties in high school um, to make money. I used to sell trees in high school to make money. Um, but it was always kind of like outside of the traditional path. And my boy Godwin was more of a like, yo, there's ways to work within the system. And so he like basically enlisted me and was like, yo, you know, there's this, um, one of the reasons I had gone to the school is because when I went to visit in 1999, they were having a hip hop conference with like Kwali and Common and Dead Prez. And I, and, and I saw all these posters up for the weekend after I was there and I was. Are you still with us? There's posters cool. in the library for Common and Dead Prez. Like, I got to be a, like, what? Like, my high school, would there would never be nothing like that. Like, no no school would, like, sanction this type of music. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, I want to be a part of the school. Um, but basically, the, the student group that threw that event had, like, gone dormant. And my boy Godwin was like, yo, I want to revive this, the charter for this student group. And I want to um, involve, have you involved because I know that you're a hustler, you do, you're doing your thing in that way. So you know how to like move and network with people. And I know that you, you rap. And, and he was like, I want to throw a rat, uh, a battle. So I, I got into organizing events. Um, I, like I said, I, I had thrown parties in high school where we like, <clears throat> we booked this club called Fantasia that I don't think exists anymore that used to be like by the South Street Seaport and like told them that it was going to be college kids and people would be drinking and it was like all high school kids with fake IDs and shit like that. Um, But um, I really got into like, you know, writing grant proposals to get funding from the school to um, bring artists out. And they used to have this like a book that they send to every college with like the list of artists and their, their booking fee and, um, so my, my boy Godwin is the one who really pulled me into the organization and um, we revived it and we threw, the, we threw a battle. And then the next year I became the president of the organization and the, the hip hop conference that I had been excited about in 99 was supposed to be like every other year. And so that year, 2005, was like one of the, one of the years that it, it fell on. And so we, you know, me um, and my people there, my man Isaiah, um, Chris Ikpo, um, we like put a squad together and started raising money. You know what I mean, we we used to throw parties at uh, the Masonic Temple, like in town. We used to rent out the Masonic Temple and throw like super degenerate parties. We used to drive to um, Indiana and buy Everclear and like just mix up this jungle juice and like raise cash that way we had you know raffles we would go to every single student group and raise money from the student groups and be like yo you know it was a week-long event where we had panel discussions we had um workshops with like the boys and girls club because 
um, Oberlin College is in like one of the poorest counties in America, um, in Ohio. And so we, we wanted to reach out to the local community. Um, we had a breakdancing event. We had a, a rap battle. We had a DJ battle. We had a conference. We had these like political panel discussions. And so it was really a big event. And we would just go to each student group and be like, yo, you know, go to the um, Filipino um, student group and let them know like, yo, one of the DJs in the battle is Filipino. If you guys can um, cover the cost of his plane ticket and his hotel, um, <clears throat> you know, just kind of going through all the different student groups to try to put the pieces together. And um, we, we actually ended up booking um, Talib Kweli and um, Immortal Technique and Medusa from the West Coast um, and we brought out EO Dub. We brought out End of the Week to, to like host the whole event, um, to perform. They, they hosted, you know, the battle, hosted panel discussions. Um, Poison Pen was out there. You know, Swave was out there. You know, Zoo, um, Vice, Rest in Peace, Pro, like everybody came out. And even the year prior when we did the battle, we brought out um, Swave. Swave came out for that. Um, Mecca came out for that. And... Um, Vice and um, Breeze Everflow and hosted the hosted the battle. So like, I was always still kind of like reaching back and trying to bridge the gap. You know what I mean? It's like in the summer I'm going to EO Dub, going to the open mic, and then when school is back in session, I'm out here in Ohio and I have an opportunity to really like, right. um, you know, it's like there's a lot of money. You know, part of your college tuition is an activity fee, and that money is there for you to go get it. And that's what that's what my boy Godwin was kind of like showing me, and um, I was like, if, if someone's going to get this money um, and this opportunity, it's going to be, you know, the peoples that are inspiring me from EO Dub. So um, that that was really kind of like one of the big introductions to me of operating as a entrepreneur, like within the system, you know, before I was booking nightclubs and telling lies about who was going to be there and kind of scheming and selling trees and Man, shit like that. But that, that was the like, first time that I was, that was a lot in the, in the mix. So that was a lot <laughs> more knowledge nuggets, more fantastic, beautiful shit, honestly. Um, but what I think is super interesting. And again, the, I like to find takeaways because at work, when you do a meeting, right, you sit down at the end. Yep. If you don't have your takeaways, the meeting's an absolute waste, right? Your actionable totally. specific items that people can work on. Um, yep. I figured you're a busy guy. You might appreciate what that means. <laughs> yep, totally. Community investment. You went somewhere yep. different that was not your own. And you didn't come in and just try to floss. You actually came in and took from where you are at and brought to them as a gift, right? And we can talk about end of the week and some stuff very soon because I do think we need to talk more about that. But I think it's yep. amazing that the attitude you had was not, yo, everybody has to come pay attention to me. It was different. It was, yo, look at this place we're at. Look at these opportunities that exist. Let me build. Let me create. Let me work with people. So I heard no I, 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 I. It was all we, 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 we. And that's very important. And I don't think people look for these little subtle nuances sometimes. So I just want to address that you actually brought this to the light in your story. So that was very cool too. We can all work on that. That means that when you see a guy like Russ, it, yeah, he has a team, okay? Like when he says solo, it doesn't mean the same thing as what a lot of people think, right? He has a team. It's right. not literally by yourself. And I love the yeah. fact that you're kind of conveying that right at the jump. You went somewhere new, you gave back to the community, and you used the valuable resources of a team, working with people, giving, and you brought a place of where you're from, because that's what end of the week is, there. 
yo, I learned a lot about the team sport thing of like hip hop and giving to you. There's a reason I'm wearing a Montreal's finest hat, right? Like I want to make mm. sure that Montreal's name is represented in this conversation with such a person like you. Don't have to yep. say it a lot. Just put it there. It's what it is. Um, so the fact that you did that is incredible. It just shows that even before you got into anything, anything where your heart was at. And I think a lot of people need to understand that when you when you hear legend, it's because their story had a lot of things like that involved in it that maybe don't get brought up. Like I was put in my place that maybe I, instead of talking shit about Eminem, I should think about what he does for Detroit. I didn't mm. really think about it. I don't know shit all. I don't even have like an opinion on it. But I need to Google right. that before like I can really consider any kind of real opinion on the guy, right? So anyway, Word. I feel like that's the kind of shit that you brought to the table here with that. Um, anyway, uh, let's talk about end of the week because I know what that is because, you know, end of the week's logo is literally on my side of the stream over here. So um, what? when did you get involved with them? Tell us about end of the week. Let's give fucking all the flowers we can to end of the week for the next little bit because they fucking deserve it and we're literally on their Zoom. It's just yep. right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like, you know, when I when I was in Ohio going to school, like, I was just dying, you know, dying for culture. And, like, I was trying to build a, you know, reputation and a resume of, of music and performance. And so, like I said, it was like going to the Village Voice and looking in the back of the Village Voice, which was the um, newspaper, um, going to Fat Beats, the record shop. And they always had like flyers at the door and trying to see like what events were going on. You know what I mean? Like this was the, this was the internet. This was the way of like seeing what was going on. And so, especially cause I was in the middle of nowhere in Ohio and, and actually in Ohio, um, I used to go, <laughs> I used there, there was a, there was a battle like every Tuesday night in Cleveland that I used to go to that was run by my man, um, Suave Gotti. And um, there's a lot of dope MCs that I that I, I used to clash with out there. Um, King Tut, this dude Superman, and this dude Osage, and then also King Dom, who used to be de who was down with um, like copyright from megahertz. But um, <clears throat> so I used to, I was even doing that in Ohio, like getting my boy. To, I didn't have a driver's license, just getting my man to like drive me out on a Tuesday or a Wednesday to the open mic, like in the middle of fucking nowhere in Cleveland. Um, just because I was just dying for that. And so, but then when I would come back to New York, to the city on, on breaks or, you know, over the winter, over the summer, whatever it was, like I would hit those flyer spots hard, just like, yo, I need to go to everything while I'm here. And I just kept seeing EO dub end of the week, open mic. Um, and then I, you know, I went, I went uh, to the pyramid and I signed a list and I think I went a couple times because they used to, you know, they would see people on the list, like, it's not just a free for all open mic like it is, but then their job as hosts is to keep the show interesting. So they're going to, they're going to rearrange the list a little bit based on who they know is going to keep the energy right. You know what I mean? Oh. Um, and so like I went a couple times where I didn't show up early. So my name is low on the list. And then they're also throwing other people in the mix to keep the, the groove going. And it gets to the end of the night. And like, now I'm going last and there's no crowd there. And so I, I stepped to Big Zoo, who was one of the hosts, one of the founders and the hosts, um, shout to Big Zoo. And I was like, yo, like, I've been here two, three times and I keep going on when like nobody's here. And, like, I just want, I want more. And it's the era where <clears throat> we had pagers. I had a pager. And so Zoo gave me, um, I gave Zoo my pager number. You know what I mean? And um, 
I still remember like when he paged me and I was on like Broadway and 96th street and there used to be a payphone right there. Um, like right, right by the old Latin quarter. And, um, I, I can still just remember getting the page and being on a payphone and, and having that conversation with him of like, yo, like I really want to be down and I, and I love what you guys are doing. And um, that, that was kind of the beginning of me, like having a place there where I actually, you know, had, had more of a voice, you know what I mean? And, um, and yeah, it was just like, I didn't necessarily have full songs. I'd have like a hook and a verse or I'd have, you know, like a 39 bar verse, like just, MC shit and and didn't have like a stage show together necessarily but needed an outlet to perform and just work on my craft and have people see me and get that experience and like you know bragging rights which was an old like classic um, battle that used to happen wasn't happening anymore you know lyricist lounge wasn't happening anymore at that time um, so end of the week really was holding the torch in New York for like this this, this open is- mic culture that um this is like early 2000s i was gonna like, say it's about yeah. then if i know my history at all now so that's yeah. cool just so that the people watching yeah. know also totally because of you my channel just hit its highest record of 18 people at one time so thank you iron solomon <laughs> for blowing my Dope. fucking mind anyway let's keep going <laughs> yeah sorry um yeah no that, i mean that's basically it it's just like so tell us know, a bit about performing at end of the week what is their format like i know what it's like but for the people that are watching tell us what it's actually like to be at an end of the week uh, open mic at that time a little bit of story time yeah so i mean first of all it's mad diverse like we had you know everybody from the super hood like thug rap dudes to like you know a little weirdo white guy rapping about like traveling from the future and space cowboys and shit like that um and everybody kind of had had a place and um the difference between just like a regular open mic and eo dub is like a regular open mic might be um list and they're like all right this person's coming to the stage next bless you and and uh and they're they'll come up and do their thing and um that it'll just be kind of dry and it's like on you to keep it exciting end of the week you have like instant hype men you know what i mean and like like as soon as they hear your song once like they know when to jump in in fact you do the hook the first time by the end of that first chorus, they're saying a chorus with you. And then the next time the chorus comes around, like they know the whole thing and they're doing the ad libs and they may, you know, added an extra part that you didn't even think of. And you might go home and re-record it with the way that they flipped it. You know what I mean? Because they're really like showmen, you know, like uh. they're not just MCs that know how to record a song or perform their own music. They know how to host an event and they know how to make, um, you look good. You know what I mean? Like I've never like anyone who's ever performed at EO dub and has, you know, whether it was an upcoming person, nobody heard of, or, you know, an artist that came through that was super hot at the time, or if it was somebody who was like a, a old school legend that wasn't really buzzing, but they were getting love at EO dub, like they'll all walk away being like, yo, like that was the illest show i've done because you guys the hosts you know um uh pro and vice and uh zoo just like the way that they would hold people down and lift people up was is is amazing you know what i mean so it's like it would be so exciting you know and then you step outside and people are smoking weed and rhyming and and you know like it, it was just like a whole 
scene, you know, it's like a social club and an open mic. You know what I mean? So I totally empathize with what you're saying because in my experience with end of the week is like, I'm in Quebec, right? So we got the chapter up here. Um, but I don't really know much about it, uh, at the time. I know it's been coming for a whole, whole lot. Um, as an example, we got actually a bunch of end of the week Quebec guys here watching this, right? Because they care a lot about your career, nope. which is fucking cool, nope. right? Every, uh, it's Absolutely. a big family. Um, so with uh, the current COVID times, they started a weekly si open mic cipher on a Sunday night. Now, I've been in corporate world for such a long time that that Thursday 11 p.m. start time was just terrible for me in my local city. <laughs> not going to happen. But somehow Zoom on a Sunday is a very different experience. Like that's not the same right. thing at all, right? So I started mm -hmm. participating, but as you were telling your story uh, about how the love they give, dude, it's exactly it to this day. To my experiences with end of the week is exactly that. Everyone's been so incredible, okay? Like the whole thing, like y'all don't even understand. Like there's an open mic later on tonight on, on like this very, you know, end of the week Zoom thing that we're on right now. I'm going to be logging back in later on. And it's going to be all love, man. Everybody gets love. If something goes wrong, it's love. It's just love all around. Uh, did you ever yep. participate in like the the tournament thing they do with the competition side of it? Yeah, the MC challenge. Yep, I did the MC challenge a bunch of times. Um, I won it a few times and was in the challenge of champs. I never won the um, challenge of champs, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I traveled with EO Dub, went to London and um, Paris and and uh, Berlin, and um, <clears throat> went to got to perform at you know the Rocksteady anniversary which i grew up going to the rocksteady anniversary and being in the crowd as a fan so like um you know i learned a lot about a lot of different components of of being an artist being a performer um being an event producer and then i you know i brought what i learned um in college from my boy godwin and 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 throwing a um, hip-hop conference and i um brought it there and i was helping out on the on the back end of things like writing sponsorship proposals and helping getting funding and and you know kind of bringing the entrepreneur side of it there um as well you know what i mean so it was it was definitely a good outlet and even working as an engineer in a recording studio you know because um for a lot of years they had a the recording studio the can dojo you, um, just, in Dumbo uh, before, before what is Dumbo. challenge of champs just because there's a bit of chat going on asking what that is yeah yeah, so the, the MC challenge is the competition that they have, which is um, <clears throat> instead of battling like where you're dissing somebody and, and being negative, it was more like an Olympic event, like showcasing all of the different facets of what it means to be an MC. So you'll spit, um, you know, just a 16 bar verse over like a, a, a hard beat. Um, then you'll do an acapella. Then you could do the freestyle grab bag where you're reaching into a bag and pulling items out and, and rapping about them as you're pulling them out. Then you'll do beat juggling where the DJ is like switching the beat up and changing the speed. And they're seeing if you could really stick to the, to the rhythm and, and stay in, in different pockets. And then is the um, cypher skills where you'll be paired up with um, another person from the, from the competition and maybe one of the hosts and you'll just trade off, four bars to, to show that you know how to play off someone else's energy so instead of just you going head to head with somebody it's like showcasing the diversity of your skills and how well-rounded you are as an MC. and then they're judges and they vote and and they they rank you at the end and so when you win the MC challenge then you know at the end of the year or quarterly depending on how they're doing it is a challenge of champions so it'll be a, an MC challenge that includes only winners of previous MC challenges. And those would be um, not on the regular Sunday night at the, at the pyramid. 
but they would be at like a larger venue, um, like a like a knitting factory um, in New York. And uh, and yeah, I got to be a part of those um, as well. I never won the challenge of champions. The what the one of the ones I was in, I think Pumpkinhead won. Um, rest in peace to PH. Um, so I think it was me and PH and Blind Fury. Um, I forget who else was in it, but uh, but yeah, a lot of led, a lot of just you know people I grew up like following on the underground in the 90s um kind of becoming my peers or, or me having an opportunity to work alongside them through eo dub which was just ill to me you know what i mean like I, I always have been a fan of you know um i remember even as a kid you know putting jay-z next to company flow um, oh. on, on mix on a mixtape and being like you know feeling like yo i'm the only one doing this like that like all the people i fucked with were either like mad underground heads or were into like more hood rap or commercial rap and i felt like i was the one who was like yo like I was, company flow and jay-z was my shit you know and and i, I just right. always wanted to be wanted to be different like i remember and this is kind of a tangent but i remember when i think it was the roots like things fall apart came out and i remember there were kids in my school that i thought were like kind of corny that were like, yo, like the roots is out. And, and, and I was like, it ruined, like under, it ruined underground hip hop for me. And that's the day I like became a Jay-Z fan and like threw out all my triple five soul and was like, I'm wearing Versace from now on. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I was rebelling by being into underground hip hop. And then when everybody got into underground hip hop, I rebelled by being in a commercial hip hop and being oh, like, hold fuck up. that. Like, <laughs> okay, I got to give you some credit, dog, because I think a lot of people don't understand that the entrepreneurial spirit is part of hip hop. And it took me like literally so fucking long to learn personally. Uh, that's why we're all doing this now is because I started to figure out you have to build. And when you start building, you start to collect that community aspect. You start to attract people a little bit. But yo, right away off the jump, we have Iron Solomon who's throwing fucking real big time events also driven around community and yo i heard i heard some of your current escapades and some of the big big events i gotta know running is all i'm gonna say level of big events <laughs> that you've been up to so that just correlates into your far future and what you're up to in the current day so i think it's so interesting that there's such a parallel between the world of hip-hop the world of corporate america and your ability to blend these two things because personally that's my whole brand blending hip-hop and corporate america so that makes you like top notch in my fucking books is how i'm trying to say yo thank you sammy c for the follow um anyhow uh i just have to tell you that that's so cool uh when did you like i guess because of your parents and the exposure to all of that you just kind of absorbed a lot of this business stuff so let's just pause for a second and give some people some actionable say you're a young mc in an area like maybe the ecosystem doesn't exist what would be a little bit of your advice on how a person could throw a low-key hip-hop event and have it be a successful thing that people will actually want to come to if you're okay with sharing that little tidbit with the world yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be in areas where, you know, there was an infrastructure, you know, in New York and stuff like that. But <clears throat> I know a lot of people that come from different areas where they had to they had to create the community and create the fan base. You know what I mean? And I think something that <clears throat> something that has stopped me a lot in my career is wanting everything to be like it is on TV or wanting to do everything in a way that's huge. But I think, you know, anybody who's local or trying to build a name for themselves, like 
you know, you, you were, you're like, yo, I got 18 people on the stream. Like if you have 18 people that really fucking support you, that's better than trying to get, you know, a million people that don't really care about you. You know what uh. I mean? And so I think the most important thing is like knowing who your fan base is and holding on to and respecting and appreciating what you do have because you can always build from that and really tapping in with the people that are that are tapping in with you. And I think for me, I always kind of like I wanted a big name manager. I wanted a big name lawyer. I wanted these things that like, you know, made me um, miss opportunities because now I'm with people that aren't prioritizing me. You know, now I'm 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 looking at little I remember I, I was on tour with um, the boot camp click on the West Coast and I got to um, Seattle and my boy um, Casa Overall, who's an ill artist, ill like jazz drummer, rapper, producer, everybody should definitely check him out. Really interesting, like avant-garde, um, just futuristic artist. And he grew up with Macklemore and um, Mac. So I, it, this was like right when Macklemore was starting to suit like super bubble. And I remember reaching out to Macklemore in Seattle and being like, yo, come to the boot camp show. I'm opening up. And like, I kicked it with him at the show. And the next stop was some like small town um, in like, like an hour from Seattle. And I was like, I was having so much fun in Seattle that I was like, fuck it. We're not going to the small town. Um, we're just going to kick it here. Like, I feel like maybe I could go to the studio here. I could go to the, you know, the dope clothing stores and like, and I, and he was like, yo, like don't sleep on that market. Like you might think that's a small town, but it's part of, it's an important part of the circuit and people are going to show you love there. And like, at the time I wasn't really ready for that gem because I wasn't ready to kind of humble myself in that way. But like, really if you're trying to go anywhere you have to first be present where you are you know what i mean it's like if you want to you know if you're in a swimming competition like you can't get that jump start if your feet aren't like firmly anchored against that wall um to push you where where you can actually cross the pond you know what i mean so i think the, the thing is is to just like be where you're at and like tap in where you're at and find the people who are like you who who um want to support you and are into what you're doing and and be yourself and don't be ashamed or shy about how little or how many um followers you have or or who you are because i think you know there's something for everybody i mean at this stage like it, the world is a big place and a small place because we're all connected by the internet we're all connected by this kind of like weird you know shared experience of of modern life that we're going through and so i think you know just do what you can and don't and let that be enough you know what i mean and, and aim high but always appreciate the small everything is a success like a home run is a home run um but four base hits is the same thing you know what i mean and don't be afraid of those base hits you know Yo, I think that's mad knowledge nuggets right there. Because, yo, market research, right? Rule number one, understand your stuff. Like, I'm not even playing. Like, I can't even go down certain angles and try to front, like, whatever, whatever. It just doesn't work, right? And I'm not going to lie just to give you your flowers. Like, I don't have that many people just by myself. It might be a certain name that I got to put into a little thumbnail and advertise a bit that got a lot of these people here. Right. So thank you so much for blessing me like that. This is huge for me. For sure. I just thought you might be a humble guy, but dog, I'm just being real with you. That's what it is. You, you totally are fucking, this is big for me. And I just want you to dope. know that. I'm glad, man. That's and, dope. And this conversation. It cost, it cost me nothing. You know what I mean? I think like, like that's the thing is like, 
we got to start giving what we have. Like it costs me nothing to be here right now. You know what I mean? And, and if that adds value to you, then I'm creating value from, from nothing. You know what I mean? And, and to me, I, I like to create, like if I didn't create something in, in the day, I have a hard time going to sleep at night because like, I just need to always make something and be like, I made that. I did that today. I accomplished that. And so like, if, if I can, if I, if we can create value, out of just time like that's that's the most like godly thing we can do is to just make something where there was nothing you know what i mean and, it, and it, it's 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 a it's a beautiful thing to be able to do that you know what i mean so i, I appreciate the opportunity too you know honestly i just think it's great because like when i start to picture what this is going to be like i just started interviewing people right it's just it just happened and now i'm sitting here talking to you and like this kind of conversation is my dream this is it like and it's just really fucking cool i guess that you're doing this because i don't know like you, you're teaching me shit you're, you're teaching me how to think a little bit how i can maybe replicate your success because check it your success is the most interesting part like i don't even know how much time you have left i know i got told till five so i mean we might not get through yeah. your whole story today and i'm just letting so everyone we can do know another one too another time there you heard it folks i got him to say it on wax he's down for a part two <laughs> so for your questions oh, yeah. that we're not maybe going to get to because it is what it is um it's just not relevant right this is a story and when we get to the right part of the story, we're going to ask the right questions. Okay. That's what yeah, I'm trying yeah, to we, just... we, we could do chapter two, chapter three, whatever. Like, I, you know, <sighs> this is a dope interview. You're, you're doing a great job. Like the stuff we're talking about is super interesting. And, um, you know, Dutch, Dutch is my brother, man, whatever, whatever he needs from me. So like, if this is something that he, you know, we're, we're here, well, I'll be here, you know, Liddy, Liddy broke up every, every single time, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, that's my guy. Yeah. I love it. Y'all should check out that Liddy Bros, though. It's fucking good. Yeah, it goes uh, so hard. Um, anyhow, so let's go back to your story a little bit. And thank you for the EOWs. You actually taught about three or four people what the fuck that was. And they're maybe going to come Dope. to that open mic tonight. So you did that, Iron Dope. Solomon. Dope. I didn't Hell do yeah. that. You did that. Word. So that's thank what we want to do here. Big ups to the EOWs people on this call. Um, anyhow, uh, let's go back to your story a little bit. Let's start to go back to that. You were describing you were just having that competitive spirit. You're in college. You're doing all these things. It's the early 2000s. Uh, at this point, are you actually like, what is the battle rap in such world even like? Let's start with that, right? Because to a lot of people, they're not going to know the history of battle rap. It's just some shit that's YouTube videos. And you're a unique person because you probably lived through a lot of it. So through your yeah. stories though, over here, maybe we can document some of the actual history of the inside points of at least that era of battle rap and its evolution through your participation yeah yeah i i've been thinking about this recently because i was thinking back on that specific era <clears throat> and how like like I, for some reason like when i was a teenager like i didn't feel like i liked going out of my comfort zone but i always did for some reason and i remember when i was in high school you know people going to, to visit colleges and like staying with um, staying in a dorm room with like college kids that they never didn't know. And as a kid, I was like, bro, like I could never fucking do that. Like I would never be comfortable, like sleeping on somebody's couch. I never met. Um, and then for some reasons, just like being so motivated um, to want to have, you know, a career a as an MC and, and be involved in hip hop, like, and I guess also being in Ohio in the middle of nowhere where there wasn't as much, for me to latch on to um as the internet became more of like a viable thing you know there was what was it mcbattles.com i think uh dutch i don't know if you remember that i think it was tone deaf's 
website and it was like you could watch battles on there that he uploaded but it would take mad long to load the battle the quality would be like super shitty you know this is before youtube um but i would still like go online and try to get newspapers and figure out where's the local battle um and i and i would go into cleveland and battle and um i i won the battle of the year there and was on the cover of the like music section in the in the cleveland scene which was ill and then to speak to what you said about always you know the community it's like i'm i'm this kid you know white kid especially from new york and i win the battle of the year i called up like everybody that i knew in cleveland who who had been in the battle and was like yo like i want all of you at the cover shoot like i'm i want all of us on the cover you know what i mean and so um i still have i have to post that i'll post that clipping and maybe i'll send it to you too but i, I still have the image of all of us like on the on the cover of um the music section of the Cleveland scene, which was like the local newspaper. But um, I, I also used to like take trips like everywhere to battle. And these were like tournament style, um, freestyle battles where it's like they, they're over beats and, and you have 16 MCs or 32 MCs and, you know, you there's a pyramid and, and people get knocked out and then you move on to the next one. And the winner of this battle battles that person until there's one person left. And so like there was... <clears throat> Yeah, there were definitely like there were definitely also the kind of acapella written street battles, but um, I feel like it it wasn't as common in terms of like you could battle for money that way. And so, I literally like there's there's a few there's there's a few battles where like I would I would take my rent money in college and I would like book a flight somewhere and be alone and like I went to this event called break Lana that was in Atlanta. And at the time there would be like a break dancing battle and an MC battle at like almost every event. So I would be, you know, sleeping on somebody's couch, like with the break dancers sleeping on the floor. And then the battle is the next day. And then I would, you know, I was alone. I ne you know, going back to what I was saying about not feeling comfortable, you know, sleeping in somebody's college dorm that I didn't know all of a sudden I was like, fuck it. This is, you know, I got to go outside my comfort zone and I would be sleeping on somebody's floor that I never met and going to the battle. And I remember they lost my luggage in break Lana, So I was like unshaven and, you know, had like my, my, my airplane Tim's instead of my crispy Tim's on, you know what I mean? Um, Tim's and jean shorts and shit, New York, New York shit. And then, um, I convinced some friends of mine to, you know, stay at school during a holiday break because there was a battle in Kentucky and I had my man like drive us to Kentucky because I didn't have a car. I didn't even have a driver's license. So me and, and two of my boys like drove to Kentucky and I went to this battle in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky and actually for some reason, um, awkwards was in that battle. Um, and he and I battled in that. And this dude, Deuce leader who was like, this like dude that was like at every fucking rap battle back in the day filmed it but he uh um i don't know he his it's the, the the footage is probably in his basement somewhere but i remember driving back and we ran out of um blunts like we were smoking blunts the whole way like blunt 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 and i, I was selling trees so that the weed was endless but the cigars weren't and we're in kentucky oh. which is like tobacco tobacco country you know what i'm saying and we see all these barns. And this is, again, before the internet, like before smartphones. I mean, the internet is around, but not the way it was. So we're operating off of maps, like literally books with maps, trying to like get from Cleveland, Ohio to Covington, Kentucky. Um, and we're in these winding back roads in Kentucky. And there's these barns where they're drying tobacco leaves. You know what I'm saying? So we pull over 
and ran into the barn and like snatched a tobacco leaf, like a fronto leaf and like pulled into a state park and like rolled up in the fronto leaf and like puffed the L like uh, of a fresh dried tobacco in, in, um, in Kentucky. And then one, one more story from that time is like, I, I found a, bo- a battle in Rochester, New York, which is like a bunch of like four or five hours north of um, New York City. And I had a friend in college who was from Rochester and I was like, yo, man, like, you know, anybody out there I could stay with, like, I don't have bread for a hotel, like, I'm, I'm gonna take the Greyhound up there, you know, the prize is $250, like, um, I need to win it, or it's, the trip isn't worth it. And he was like, yeah, my boy's little brother still lives up there, you could go link with him. So somehow I get in touch with this kid, his friend's little brother, and these are like, crust punk, like dirt you know, they're like dirty punk kids that are also into like, you know, deaf jokes and all the real underground hip hop and they're living in somebody's attic. So now I'm chilling with people I just met sleeping on the floor of the attic and like I'm I'm rolling around Rochester with them and they're pointing out like the dumpsters that are good to get like thrown out food in. Um, like, yo, that dumpster's official. Like, they're right by the bagel shop. Like, you know, on a Wednesday, they throw out the bagels from the night before. And, like, you know, just to go to some rec room battle with breakdancers and some people from Rochester. And, like, I remember the trophy was, like, six feet tall. I had to take the trophy apart to fit it on a Greyhound to get home. You know what I mean? So, like, that just goes to show the kind of, like, effort that you would have to put in um, just to do anything, you know what I mean? And so like that, that was the grind I was on and I was doing it to get footage, to get, to meet people, to get recognition. And then I would take that footage and, and record it to a VHS or a DVD and mail it to another, to scribble jam, to, to get into the, another battle, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it, it was a lot of just like, yo, whatever the fuck I can do, like any opportunity is an opportunity um, for me back then. It was like, I got to go wherever I can go. And I have to, if I have to spend my rent money to get there, um, then I have to win because then I need my rent money. You know what I mean? And it, it was just like everywhere I went, I was going alone or like convincing people to drive me somewhere. Um, and just, just really like whatever opportunity I could, you know what I mean? So I, I think the lesson with that for this day and age is like the internet is such a big place they're like, you don't have to get on gray ta- on Greyhound. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so much that you can do. And, and, you know, I was spending days and hours and money to get to places just to reach 10 people. So if you can reach 10 people for free now, um, that's super valuable. You know what I mean? Um, so that that's what the scene was like at the time. And then I used that to, to you know, I used that to parlay. I, I forget how I got onto the Underground Sessions DVD, but like whatever it was, you know, they got in touch with me, Underground Sessions, and then they they were filming like the part two of their DVD. And that must have been right when I graduated college, like 2005. And um, YouTube was just kind of emerging. And I didn't even know what it was, but um, my boy Real Six, who's a graffiti writer and a skateboarder mm. and, and a you know, a videographer who was putting that DVD together, shout to him and uh, my other man, Bal from the Lower East Side, who who were involved in the Underground Sessions DVD. They uploaded the footage to YouTube and I I literally found out what YouTube was by somebody calling me and being like, bro, like you have like 60,000 views on this battle on YouTube. And at that time it was like, 
like that was viral at that time. Big and, facts. Um, yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't even know what YouTube is, and so I, I learned about YouTube yeah. from the Underground Sessions DVD putting me on there. I need to pause in your story because as my homie Spades, my little moderator guy, Big Up Spades, he's keeping us down in the chat. Um, it reminded me that we did forget a question I was supposed to ask you, and it's important, I think, that we do. Uh, it's relevant to your story that we've covered already. Uh, tagging, yeah. and we'll throw in dancing. How important, because we already got two of the elements that you're involved in, the, the beats and the, the, the MCing. What about the other two elements? Why don't you would just kind of give us in the last part of this interview today a recap of your story with tagging and if relevant, dancing. Yeah, so I, I was never like nice at break dancing, but I always had like homies who did it. And then I always spent a lot of time with break dancers because all the all the MC battles would always be like <clears throat> break dancing battle in one room rap battle in the other room or you know break dancing battle friday rap battle on saturday so i was always around break dancing and i, I like I, I love break dancing you know what i mean i remember like reading an article in rolling stone because like my pops had a rolling stone subscription um that was about like ja and sane and smith um and you know these are like graffiti legends in new york and i remember like you know, I didn't even think about it. It's like in New York, you don't even like, it's such a backdrop to everything that's going on that you really just don't even think about it. Thank you. You just take it for granted that like there's paint all over the trains. And um, that, that, that was like sixth grade, you know, 12 years, 11, 12 years old, probably that article came out. And I remember being like, wow, like there's people behind this and there's a story behind this. And then right away, I was just, I was like copying all the, all the pieces and the fill-ins that I saw in that article. And, um, you know, this, this really hot girl in my junior high school was like, can you do my name? You know what I mean? And so that was another thing where I was like, yo, hip hop is the shit, man. Like, I need, like, this girl ain't checking for me. Like, she's older than me. And, but she wants me to do do her name, Mindy. Shout shout to Mindy. Um, and so, yeah, I just loved it, man. Like, I just love, like, you know, the thing about hip hop that I think is so beautiful is that it's, it's democratic in that, like, you know, you don't need anything to do it. Like you don't, you just need your voice to be able to rap. Like you need a marker to be able to write graffiti and you, you make up the, these names that are like superhero names and you, you battle and they're like, yo, he destroyed him. He killed him. Yo, he left earth. Like you're, you're just a kid and you, you know, especially someone like me, who's, um, you know, I'm, five foot eight jewish kid like i'm not dunking no basketball i'm not like I tackling relate, nobody man. i relate dude yeah absolutely like, that's my path to to greatness and it's like you know it's also i think as a kid it's like you see so much fucked up shit in the world that that you know for me like i said i was always about fairness and right and wrong and you feel powerless over the fact that the world is an unjust place and to have the power to like step into a circle of people and ha and be superhuman is like amazing to me you know and so seeing like these these characters on a wall like these names and it's literally you're taking a word and you're you're just shaping the word and giving it colors in a way that has energy and and motion and aggression and like there that's such a powerful fucking thing to be able to do um and then the anonymity it's like it's just like a total superhero scenario and it's the it's really like it's 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 the cultural key to being able to be a superhero you know like 
you can be a superhero in hip hop. And that's like, that's, that was the illest shit to me. So I used to, you know, go to bomb the system, which was like legendary graffiti shop, like not too far from my high school. We would just walk and catch tags all the way there, go to bomb the system, um, you know, go to my man's crib, catch tags all the way there, you know, smoke some weed and then go back out. And then on the weekends, you know, um, have a sleepover you know what i'm saying and and then the, my parents go to sleep and like sneak out at two in the morning and go bombing and come back at 6 a.m and like scrub the paint off of our hands and um you know it, it was it was an obsession for me for sure and um you know i got a it, it's so funny like this kid <laughs> I, this kid luck l-u-k who's from who's from um queens like he was going through a lot of personal shit in his life and um, his pops brought him to um, the synagogue where I, where I was at in Manhattan. And um, so my, my one of my big graffiti connections was through luck at my synagogue, who is um, one of the founders of smart crew, which is like mayhem Loren and action Bronson. And so I used to go out to Queens um, to go bombing with um, Mayhem, May, Mayhem Loren and um, my man Luck and his, this kid Psycho 13. And um, I got arrested. I was, I was probably like 16. And um, I got arrested like by Ooh, the... Um, we got... So, yeah. I want to hear about that, but we have a question, um, serious yeah. question. What was your superhero tag name? Um, I, I wrote... Um, a M A M one, but I would write like A Y E M to like spell it out phonetically. Um, and then I would write, you know, other, other shit that I would just fuck around with. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was, I was nice. Like I was always ill with the lettering. My boy just sent me some shit that I did like in his peace book in high school. But when I got arrested, like, I just real like, I was kind of like, I was kind of pussy with like bombing. Like I, I was always shook of, shook of the cops to shook of people seeing and then when i got arrested and like i just remember being like you know what like i love this shit so much but the people who become great in this arena like don't give a fuck and like i i give a fuck like my parents are involved in my life i have grandparents that i don't want to disappoint because i remember feeling like so much like shame for like my grandparents to find out that I was like, mm. like I'm the oldest cousin on one side out of like nine, um, 10 cousins. And like, like I remember feeling like, fuck, like I'm, I'm fucking up as the like big, big cousin, like my grandparents are going to be disappointed. And so I have so much respect and appreciation for the culture that if I wasn't going to like really do it, then I wasn't going to do it. So that's like getting arrested for graffiti and realizing that like you need not just the talent to be creative artistically, you need the like, I don't give a fuck spirit to really Big be a facts. king. Yeah. So like, I was like, I don't have that. So I'm going to just focus on rap because like, I need to, I need to focus on, on something that I have the heart to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is, this is a joint. I don't know if heads can see Yo, that. We, I can see that. Can y'all see that? We'll see it in a second My on the stream. Me. Amazing dog. Yeah. That's a nugget. Yeah, we can I, see it on the stream. Yes, dog. That's yeah. amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah, yeah, I'm gonna start digging. I'm gonna dig up. I have like boxes of photos and shit, like you know, because I, yeah, I, I did my thing a little bit, but I don't talk about it that much, like I said, because I have so much respect for it. Like, I didn't take it to any kind of level well, where it's noteworthy beyond 
it was something that I loved. So I'm gonna I mean? be real with you. The only reason I brought it up is because your fans came on my stream. They're also, I guess, shared fans of ours. That's cool. That's word, a cool word. sentence. Yep. Hell yeah. And yeah. Uh, they uh, they asked. They wanted to know. Word, so dope. maybe this yeah, is worth talking yeah. about for those folks. No, I love I, I I love graffiti and one of the things that I'm working on now is with my boy, um, Ch. Um, Charlie the Hustler on Instagram. He's um, Charlie underscore the underscore Hustler, a legendary graffiti writer from New York. Um, we're working on some art and um, merch projects. Um, our company is called Good Grief Limited. The Instagram is just at, at Good Grief Limited. And, um, you know, we're doing a lot of really dope like design work and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. Have some stuff. I probably have some stuff that I could show that isn't out yet. But, um, but yeah, it'll, it's all all will be coming soon. So I'm I'm kind of getting back involved in the graffiti world a little yeah, bit. That's amazing. I'm glad that you shared that with us. And I thank you again for all those knowledge nuggets, man. That was some crazy shit. So that superhero yeah. thing, weirdly enough, it's not the first time I heard that theory. And the first time I heard that theory came from my boy, who's obsessed with comic books and wrestling. And he found the Word. comparison of Wu Tang Clan comic books and wrestling, and how each of the Wu Tang, yep. it's not that different than a WWE storyline when you really break it down at that level. Totally. And it really does explain how he always like he put me onto the theory. We're talking like five, six years ago onto the theory of how hip hop is really just combatants of heroes and villains, right? So like Wu Tang yep. could be villains, Rakim's a hero. Right, like, right. and it yep. really is a Marvel universe, and that's one of the funniest fucking parts of digging through the crates of hip hop history is is unraveling that. I, I just like a little quick one. Um, that's one, one of the first things we're releasing. Actually, I got this. I have this hat that's like a baseball team. That's like the crate diggers. Oh, that's um, dope, man. <laughs> yeah, this is an early sample right here. Um, crate Ooh. diggers baseball hat. It's wool, and then uh, this patch on the side says. Uh, minor league champs like m-i-n-e-r uh, minor league champs and then instead of the world series years it's got uh the record speed 78 45 and 33 okay and then, um then the box that it comes in my man run back zach from rotten island records put together a crate of records like collectible records and then my boy um khalif gamble who's the son of kenny gamble from gamble and huff is my man who's a ill photographer and he photographed the crate and then we put it together so this is actually the box this crate this record crate is the box that the hat's going to come in you see the attention so the detail there everything had an explanation yeah. ready to go every yeah. fucking thing had a thing ready to go yo man thank yo, you so much by the man. way that hat by the way that hat was so frito drip bro good looking bro that good hat looking, is yeah. nice that looked clean that looked clean oh, yeah Thank you, man. Yeah, hell yeah. That, that's no, that's that like some of the merch shit that I'm working on is like those these concepts, you know, bringing the MC shit and the graffiti shit like just to another realm and trying to have it be yeah, layered. You just got a big ups from the comments on that, man. People are seeing the level of effort that's you put stuff, in. Man. Yo, you don't even have to explain it because it's so oh, transparently yeah. good. Like you just thought that, yo, it's like a beats. Word, like, word. Yo, when you think about beats and shit like that, we, we all know that it's a little bit, it's the package. You want to get that premium experience. Right. That's something that caught my eye about just to give Flacco Bayless flowers, the Liddy Bros drop with their fucking thing. Like Hell that yeah. comes from that big old package, right? Where like you had to yeah. get that box and he gave you something so valuable just to give Flacco his flowers that you were able Hell to yeah. wear it on this interview and it's dope. Yep. I, oh, yeah, it I love looks this dope. Shit. It's just what it is. Yeah, it's fire, man. I got the whole I, I I got the rest of the stuff upstairs, but like, yeah, I love what he's doing. And 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 when he's when we when he was like, yo, I got this thing, I was like, bro, this is exactly the type of shit I'm trying to work on. And uh it helped and it helped like give me 
still more inspiration and confidence to be like, this is the way, you know what I mean? And, and uh, mm. yeah, this shit is fire to me. It's dope. I, I rock it in my regular life and I, I had to have it for the interview. You know what I mean? So here's yeah, the, and I bumped the, the, the songs, man. That shit is so it's so dope, man. Yeah. Yo, it's actually a yeah, great nah, project. Thank you so much. We're gonna put links in description for all the videos when we get the full thing yes. out, etc. But yo, if I only have five minutes left, like we can chat till you're gone. But I want to make sure I get the sound bit of my closing done, if you don't mind, while you're still here with Absolutely. me. Absolutely, yeah. yeah so yo, yeah. uh, thank y'all for watching this for real. I appreciate the whole world, like that you're here at this huge moment for us. Like this is big. I literally got to debut a logo in the middle of our stream. Throw it up. The bridge, the gap things real now it's fucking Dope. cool you blessed it you were like the christening of this moment for real real so thank you for giving us Dope. that that's such a gift honestly um let oh, us yeah. know in the comments of whatever platform you're watching this on what you think all that good stuff ask questions the man already said part two is a thing so we're gonna figure that out when we yep. can all make it happen because again this was fucking fun for me i had a blast this is like yo i was maybe feeling kind of sad a little bit a little mopey and now i feel great my whole life feels like nope. damn life is good again you know what i'm saying nope. um so thank you for that because yo i love it i love it the, the comments are lit there are still 14 people here with us dude this wasn't like a nope. drop off this is like some people with latching onto the knowledge nuggets you shared i can see a uh, cool man logan who's been in the chat nodding his head in our zoom call over there big fucking facts right so yo Dope. thank you for that um Special thanks to the patrons is Milgad MC, Chris Powder, Jonathan Barnes, DJ Black, Hurricane, Linda Williams, uh, and Scribble. They're dope. They support what we do. If you do like what we do, hit us up at patreon.com slash behind us. Show some love. We're going to figure out a way to do the interview tiers, but for now, we do a bunch of album reviews and shit. So, yo, if you want to go, hold in, do a review, patreon.com slash behind us. That's all I'm trying to say. Except for Big Zoo. He's getting one for free. That's all I'm saying. And, yo, Iron, Hell if you yeah, ever yeah. want me to go through your shit, I couldn't find Monster, but if you want a review and you send that my way, I'll fucking uh, I'll do the whole thing. I'll do a little album review. Dope. For you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually have some physical copy here. Maybe I'll maybe I'll uh we'll go old school and I'll ship I'll ship you a physical copy. You know yeah, that's fresh. I'm uh but yo, thank you for this whole experience. Um, so yo, for yeah, yeah, should we do should we do some quest like quick questions from the chat before we end? Yeah, we had we one? had one that I fucking forgot that is a little quick. But yo, just hold up, live long and prosper, everyone.